0: a wristwatch, a sewing machine, a television, and a bicycle. Jian, the four big ticket items, so to speak, to make you a modern man in China. In the late 70s, before marriage, this modern man should have what they call sanjuan yishang, loosely translated into three circles and a speaker, which is two bicycle wheels, a circle, which is a wristwatch circle, and a radio. Of course, this saying was updated every decade, and even these days, it'd be pretty challenging to marry a woman in Shanghai without offering an apartment, a car, and maybe a new iPhone. But this story is about China's first popular industrial product and the world's most produced mechanical product of its time. hmm The Bicycle. At the turn of the last century, a couple Americans rode their way into China on their bicycles through the western provinces. True story, and quite the sight to have beheld. Slowly, foreigners living in China began to import bicycles for their personal use in some of China's major cities. Chinese, who could offer transportation, I mean, who could afford transportation, used litters or rickshaws. I wasn't too sure what a litter was, but they're both... The kinds of things that you need to be pushed or pulled or carried by other people in back in the day. You probably know what a rickshaw is. It's got the wheels like a wagon. The use of horses were mainly for like commercial use. Until the king of China rode a bicycle, wealthy Chinese didn't really start riding bicycles and if they did, it was like an odd thing to see, if at all. With Mao's Red Army victory in 1950 came the pursuit of modernizing China's transportation by ramping up. You guessed it, bicycle production. Yep. The year the VW bug was introduced in America, Mao Zedong took leadership of China and owning a flying pigeon became the dream of every household in China. After Mao, not necessarily the next successor, but the one after that, Deng Xiaoping used bicycle ownership as a metric to measure China's development growth. With some 500 million bicycles operating in China, bicycle use peaked as Jiang Zemin took power around 1990. The quote, bicycle kingdom, end quote, still had automobiles, but meeting a taxi driver in the 80s was as common as meeting a commercial pilot in today's America. The common mode of transportation was indeed the bicycle, which accounted for taking up half of the street lanes shared with automobiles. If you ever get the chance, Google something like bicycle kingdom or China's bicycle kingdom, for example, and you'll see what it looks like to see a sea of bicycles. You'll see a sea. (laughs) In the 1990s, cities like Beijing started creating bicycle lanes and maintaining a desire to keep bicycle as a major use for transportation instead of phasing it out like what they were thinking previously they were going to do. While the popularity of subway and automobile transportation increased, four major bicycle brands started to branch out and into more and more other bicycle brands, and public land besides subway stations began to account for more room for bicycle parking, and the implementation of shared bicycle use began piloting programs all around China. By the time of my first visit in Shanghai in 2006, the popularity of the personal bicycle had sloped back down to the numbers of the late 70s. Still, there were rivers of bicycles on the streets, but the introduction of the electric bikes gas-powered motorcycles, and the ownership of personal automobiles was dramatically rising, along with the roaring economy of the growth of China. In 2006, the subway system in Shanghai had already been 13 years under development, with around 100 stations and six different subway lines. But by the time that I moved to Shanghai, at the start of 2012, the numbers of stations and the length of the subway station system doubled five times over in size. Think about that, that's only six years later. Long distance bicycle rides were becoming more and more unnecessary for Chinese. But for me, I wasn't gonna be able to keep up with the seven to 20 miles of walking every day. Long walks could easily be transformed into short bike rides if per se, I had a bicycle. While my feet throbbed and my legs were becoming stones from walking around the city, thin women wearing skirts and high heels would walk past me on uneven tile sidewalks, holding several bags of groceries like it was nothing. As much as I could adapt to city life in China, I wasn't ever going to be nearly as tough as an average Chinese person. So I had to get a bicycle. Kit, my flatmate, he had a bicycle and he told me I could buy one cheap at a department store. Every once in a while, I'd walk around and I'd see different bicycle shops. But I did end up buying one at a department store. In fact, it was called Carefor. You might know it. It's a giant French-owned department store. And I bought a green one-speed Phoenix bicycle, along with a basket for the front, a rack above the back tire, and a key lock back wheel stopper thing. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? I hadn't seen them in America, but you'd unlock them and it would you know, free up the back wheel. And I bought a chain lock, an air pump, and a bicycle wheel. No, a bicycle bell. Of course, it came with wheels. Riding it back to the apartment was amazing. I mean, I felt like all by myself without having to wait for a bus or to pay a driver, I got home in a fraction of the time it would have taken me using those transportations. And then on Taobao, the online shopping platform, I ordered wheel pegs, like back in the day, BMX riding, what's up, 1980s. A cushion seat for the back the back rack that I was mentioning before, a bunch of light reflectors, the bike didn't have any at all, metal pedals, and a kind of clothing gate guard that covered the back tire spokes, so no one's dress was gonna get caught in the back wheel. I mean, I didn't want to exclude or give an excuse for any girl to refuse a ride on the back with me. After I touched attached all of these enhancements to my new Ferrari car, I mean bicycle, I used the black adhesive tape and wrapped it around the bike's painted logos and used a black permanent marker to write over other parts of the bike. Because unlike the American instinct to keep a bicycle clean and looking new, I couldn't wait for it to get dusty and dirty. Not because I wanted it to wear out faster, but because I didn't want someone to steal it. Remember my antidote before about the nail that sticks out gets hammered down in China? A new looking bicycle chained against a railing full of old crappy bicycles is a sure target for theft. As a side note, theft is particular in China. Cash in in small stores is almost always kept in drawers or cheap boxes sitting out in the open. Certain kinds of theft is off limits, while other kinds of theft is more like fair game. In fact, some kinds of theft, such as bicycle theft, is basically customary for uncared-for property. And by uncared for, I mean leaving your bike outside overnight or something like that. I don't know why things like cash are so off-limits, but suppose it has to do with the lack of tolerance by the authority. Like, it could be argued in America the in-between range from totally unacceptable to totally acceptable is very vast. And along those same lines, like, perhaps that range between totally acceptable and totally unacceptable in China is rather narrow in a more of an either-or scenario. In other words, force from an authority figure in China is more likely to be no big deal or you'll never see your family again. Like, no in-between. While in America, you can make a case for being in the right or the wrong and take it forward many miles before it's determined how right or wrong you actually were, and likely from a group of your peers. Twelve, to be exact. So... Among the risks of bicycle ownership, it's, of course, the risk of theft. That usually proved to either happen when you left your bike out overnight, like I said, chained or unchained doesn't make any difference, or parking it somewhere out of public view, or, as I mentioned, it looks more valuable than the other bikes parked beside it. That means you have to always be conscious where you leave your bike and how long you leave it for. You also might park it unknowingly in an unauthorized place, where a police truck then happens to drive by, cuts the chain, throws it in the back, and it's gone. And finally, you risk taking part in any kind of collision. Besides being unable to explain your injuries to anyone, there's no health insurance for you, at least there wasn't for me, or bicycle insurance. If the other person needs medical attention, you're pretty much done for, because their financial demands will be higher than at least I could ever pay. And standard protocol to shovel out a bunch of money to resolve a traffic accident. Any kind of crash could mean the end of living in China for me, to say the least. I mean, and it just so happens that a crash is extremely probable given the intensity of street traffic in Shanghai. And if you didn't grow up riding a bike around your neighborhood like I did, just forget about being able to handle riding in Shanghai during rush hour. Your front tire will be an inch behind the tire in front of you, and your elbows will be out against other bikers' elbows at your sides, sometimes clipping you as they pass by or jetting into your bike. You can't even see if there's something ahead of you in the street or who's coming from whichever direction, aside from the sounding of their bells. You have to be fully focused on each pedal constantly ringing your bell with quick turns or your hand on the brake or whatever wobbling around to avoid things but you can't take a sharp turn or brake hard because the energy of the bicycle traffic is like the energy of all traffic in China, constantly flowing and constantly weaving. No one's just abruptly stopping. That would be awful. If you're distracted for a moment, you'll crash. And it could be serious because you're not only in the flow of bicycles, but also motorcycles, e-bikes, and all kinds of trikes. Ever so often, the bike lanes spill into the car lanes or the bus lanes, and you're always crossing intersections and weaving through pedestrians crossing the street. On most streets, sidewalks are also fair, fair game. In fact, bike lanes often turn into lanes up on sidewalks for blocks at a time. As you weave, you'll see all kinds of transportation carried out by bicycles, often with people or especially children sitting on the back or something purchased at a store, and most e-bikes are transporting lots of packages or food or whatever else. It's not rare at all to see a tricycle carrying styrofoam stacked 15 feet high into the air with a really old skinny man standing up to pedal it forward sometimes with his wife on the back walking helping to push it or sitting way up in the air on top of the pile to keep it from spilling out of the cart so you always have to consider the option of riding up onto a sidewalk to pass a trike or slow bicycle traffic or whatever else but you have to calculate how much foot traffic there is on the sidewalk and if you're going to have to stop or be able to weave through it all. There's all kinds of situations or freedoms which come with riding a bicycle that you can't experience by foot or by car. There's special flights of steps all around Chinese cities where you need to dismount and push your bike up or down the steps. And specially made bike ramps are there so it gives you access to tunnels and bridges and a car doesn't have that in most cases and it can save you a lot of time. There's plenty of streets or bike lanes that don't have as much foot traffic or as much traffic in in anything at all, in the daytime especially, so knowing your roads can ensure that you have a smooth and the kind of bicycle ride you're looking for at least or willing to take. I could either walk through a metro station, wait for the metro car, get into a crowded car and wait three stops, or I could ride my bike down a road right under the metro straight from my front door without any traffic and arrive at my gym or whatever. And at the same time, it would have taken me to do all that stuff taking the metro. But that's the freedom of having a bicycle. You can pick and choose which subway station you want to ride to or how much pedaling you want to do compared to a subway or bus riding. In other words, you can crisscross subway lines by biking to a connecting station. You don't have to take the subway back to your bike either. You can take it... By a car to where you left your bike at some earlier point in the day. And if your tires lack air pressure or something goes wrong with your chain or whatever, there's bicycle repairmen hanging out all on every corner. Many of them put up like an umbrella, have a bucket of water for washing the grease off themselves, a bunch of spare parts laying around, with a few tires and a few inner tubes and tools laid about. And they might be half asleep in a lawn chair when you pull up, if they're not busy. And all you needed to do is say, hey, boss, or in Chinese, lao ban. <laughs> Maybe lao ban. And tell them what you need, and they'll do it for like less than a dollar. I mean, nine out of ten times. In terms of daily life, everything changed once I got a bicycle. The commute came down to 15 minutes less, and I didn't have to walk to the subway station. I could put my backpack in the front basket, give my shoulders a rest, and wear my backpack when I got to the subway. Going grocery shopping went from being an incredible mission, a, a, a great will of strength, testimony to power, to carry everything back home from the grocery station, and now all I had to do was fill up the front basket, ride straight to my front door. In fact, I didn't ride my bicycle like just to the front of the building. I went through the elevator and pushed thirty-three, and parked it right beside my apartment's front entry. The feeling of coming off the street onto the sidewalk and through the apartment's complex grounds directly into my building and onto the elevator. It felt like magic, like it like I was hovering around throughout the whole world. And perhaps the best thing about having a bicycle was taking girls on dates. Not only could I pick up my dates at the subway station and take them back home with me, saving a lot of time, but I it also helped to keep them from having to walk if they didn't want to, you know, save them some energy. And with a hundred restaurants within a short biking distance, they could sit back and relax while I took them out to dinner, which sometimes could be quite romantic on a bicycle ride. There's opportunities for scenic rides along the river, beside parks, along through pedestrian traffic. I mean, wonderful, just wonderful. (laughs) Honestly, I mean, you got to use that word sometimes for what it is. And it wasn't also just a great way to drive around with a chick on the back, but it was also a way to get intimate. I mean, she's right there, and she's got to hold on to you. They can hold you by your waist or around your stomach, especially when you're going fast. They need to hug and embrace you to stay on so they don't fall off. And dudes riding past on other bikes, some of them had their own ladies, while others just smiled in admiration, pleased to see that at least someone was having a good night. And something I really loved about China and Chinese girls is that they all knew how to ride on the back of bikes like it was nothing. I mean, Shanghai has people from all over China, so you could get a good feel of a girl's background by the way she sat on the back of a bike and how comfortable she was while riding along. There's this semi-traditional way that they sit on the back with their legs out to one side, balancing on the back rack as if, as if it was like a bench. But if I was close to a girlfriend, then she could sit on the top of the back wheel like straddling like you might do on a motorcycle using the pegs below and then ride it more like a standard motorcycle but having beautiful women dressed up happily hop on the back of your bicycle while you pedal around you know to your destination or whatever it's one of the most magical aspects about living in china i think i mean there may have been past times in america where such a thing could have like been more common of an occurrence but I was never going to experience that kind of thing in America, and I can't stress how romantic it is to glide around a busy city on a Friday or Saturday night when everything's lit up and shiny and dazzling in endless kinds of twinkling colored lights while other people and smells of food is out on sidewalks and restaurants gusting around, and there's a feeling of, like, being alive and happy. (laughs) Yeah, a rare thing, isn't it, but a great thing to do, and... That feeling is like being out and exploring, you know? The endless options of meals, snacks, drinks, and endless opportunities of places to go and explore together. It's always a great time. And it's also a lot of fun riding the bike in the pouring rain. It's common there to own a bicycle poncho. Yeah, they have that. There's like little windows in the front so you can see your wheel. So you could go out into a flooded street with your bicycle in shorts and flip-flops, so it didn't matter if you got wet down there getting around the city while cars and buses were completely stopped because of the flood. And most people were still stuck in their house. So it was like free rain for you when you're out there in your bike poncho. Most of the time, unless you're coming home from work, and that kind of sucks because your shoes aren't really ready for that kind of thing. But right around the rain, I'd ride just like I was a kid, like splashing in puddles and sometimes noticing how the other Chinese people don't stand up when they ride their bikes, unless they're like towing something heavy. Like, I like standing up on my bike and coasting down streets or along between crowds of pedestrians, gliding in sync with those walking. It was, like, unique and certainly odd for Chinese to see a foreigner not sitting on his bicycle, and it felt like I was showing them a new way to ride a bike, you know? Throughout my 20s in America, if I was riding a bike, you know, it'd be riding a bike. I was just riding a bike. It wasn't anything else. But in China, it was never just riding a bike. It was always, like, part of arriving at some destination or doing something every time. I never would have guessed like in my 30s I'd be riding a one-speed bicycle around everywhere or chauffeuring girls on the back of a bicycle to take them out to dinner. But owning a bicycle changed absolutely everything about living in Shanghai. Because of my bicycle, a huge and challenging city shrank into the feeling and size of a small town. Since most of Shanghai is completely flat, like biking to a place like the former French concession took little effort, maybe 20 minutes from my house, my apartment, and it made Shanghai like an extension of my apartment. Like, like my bedroom was just a room in the house of Shanghai, which, by the way, towered nicely over the skyline and could be seen from far. Like, yeah, that one's mine. Talking about my apartment. And with all the benefits and risk I've already mentioned, it's no wonder with the advent of technology and innovation came the invention of the MoBike. The MoBike. MoBikes were like share bikes, but not in the traditional sense of having to dock them to designated stations or having to prove your residence or any of that stuff to use them, you know. But MoBikes were going to be revolutionizing the way people got around the city. I'd never heard of the coming revolution of the Mobike. Nothing. Not a peep. But you can imagine, like, what it was like to see one for the first time and understand the working concept, how this great idea was going to be a reality. The first time that I saw one of these weird, funny bikes, I didn't know what it was. The rims and the front basket were painted neon orange, and the body was one single piece of shiny metal that bent, like, in the back to one side... Where the wheel was only attached to one side of its frame so what i'm saying is the wheel in the back wasn't attached to a fork in the frame it was just one side and because of that the wheel had to be slightly angled to compensate for the balance disparity of the not being centered you know it looked weird okay look weird and the first time i saw it i had a, like a double take because there was four parked together that were all identical so is like da, 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 like it wasn't just a weird bike like I thought it was, and then it was like, oh, there's a bunch of them. That's even weirder. What is this kind of thing? Uh, and there was uh there was a, like a lock on the back like I had on my bike that locked the back wheel, but instead of a key, there was a QR code mounted. You know, they don't use that too much in America, but a QR code, is what you scan with your phone, I guess, normally when you're taking a picture on an iPhone or you have a QR code scanner on your phone. But QR codes are really common in China, So I started to notice more and more of these bikes, and someone explained to me what they were. Mobikes were rather mysterious, though, because since I hadn't heard any mention of them before, some people told me they were invention out of MIT in America, and others said that they were a Chinese invention out of Beijing, and I didn't know which was true. But with the smartphone app, you could scan that QR code to unlock the bicycle from the back. And updated versions of the bikes had solar panels mounted into the bottom of the baskets for charging the power mechanisms in them, like it had Bluetooth and GPS. But I think they were partially charged by pedaling the bike, too. The app allowed you to look on a map and reserve a bike for up to 15 minutes. Or you could simply walk up to one as you found them and unlocked them that way. There was like a $30 deposit fee to use the app, an ID verification, and then it was about a half penny per half hour to use it. And the parking intention was that you're supposed to leave it in a designated public bike parking place. So in places like Shanghai, there are places you're not supposed to park and places you are supposed to park with little painted logos of bicycles. And they're all over the place, and they incentivize you to leave them in those areas by uh, giving you credit. If you took a picture using the app of where you parked in the designated area, they'd give you a little credit towards your next ride. Not that so many people did that, but it was a great idea along with the whole damn concept. And Mobikes were an enormous game changer. Almost all of the risks I mentioned earlier about owning a bicycle were no longer a risk with Mobikes. With Mobikes... As soon as you finished your ride and locked the bike wheel, it was no longer your responsibility. You could ride right up to the front of a shopping mall entrance, lock the back tire, and walk right in through the doors like a VIP. And it didn't really bother anyone except security guards because anyone else leaving the mall would be stoked to find a bicycle waiting for them so they could just take it to their next destination. Or they could even take it to their parked car in a nearby location. The range of transportation options opened up to almost unthinkable possibilities. Within months, there were Mobikes on every single street and anybody could always jump on a bike and go anywhere at any time. More times than not, you could unlock a bike in less than 30 seconds, although sometimes it gets stuck and it was a little frustrating. But in less than 30 seconds, you could be on a bike and on your way, just continuing along. Traffic's bad? Hop on a Mobike. Tired of walking? Hop on a mobike. Billy Mays here, just kidding. Visiting part of a city you haven't been to? Want to do some sightseeing? Hop on a mobike. I could take a mobike to the train station or the bus terminal when I was leaving town to go on trips, and I'd be there faster than taking a car, besides it costing me next to nothing to do that. The number of share bikes grew exponentially, along with mobike competitors and even e yeah, share bikes. Yeah, electric powered share bikes. In just over a year's time, share bikes would saturate the streets so heavily that it would be hard to even walk down some streets because they cluttered up the sidewalks so much. And just over a year after that, or more, half of the the share bikes you'd find uh, to unlock, they'd be broken in some way. Or we wouldn't even know if it was broken or not until you started to catch on to the unwritten rule to throw a bike on its side if it was broken. So what seemed like just people being messy and uncareful was just letting you know, don't open this one. I mean, it's a waste of time, you know. And of course, there was a way to contact the company to tell them it needed to be repaired, but most people didn't have time or the patience for that. And so as Shanghai became the share bike capital of the world, it also became polluted and overrun by share bikes on every street. A problem slowly spreading to other cities all over China, not to mention There was a Mobike pilot in D.C., and I suppose that was a major concern, and so that never grew into anything from there. At least not a Chinese Mobike company. I guess we got the scooters. And although I still used my personal bike sometimes, the Mobike slowly replaced its use. And it wasn't wasn't just because the Mobike, Mobike that made my personal bike obsolete. It was the same time that I was buying an e-bike you know that I, I was acquiring the e-bike the same time that mobikes bikes were coming into play and if the bicycle had a life-changing effect on me and my daily life in shanghai just wait until i tell you about how the e-bike changed my life it's actually a really funny story and i'm going to tell you about it next time